You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good afternoon. It's good to see you guys here today. Uh, We are continuing our series on the life of Jonah entitled Runner. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Jonah chapter 4. And as you do that, how many of you got uh, a pulled a prank on somebody yesterday on April Fool's Day? Anybody get a friend, a loved one? All right. Pulled a few pranks. You know, that's been a popular custom in our culture, at least the last 400 years. But it started way back in 1564 when King Charles IX of France decided to change New Year's Day from April 1st to January 1st, what we celebrate today. And uh, like most of us, people, there were a group of people that did not like that change. And so they were bound and determined to continue celebrating New Year's Day on April 1st. And as they did, they became known as April Bulls. And so the tradition is carried on. You know, I think just like uh, people at that time, we don't really like change. Uh, anytime, you know, we are forced to change, it, it brings about a lot of fears, a lot of, uh, a lot of emotions within us because the truth is we like to live comfortable lives. We don't want anybody to mess with us. We want things to be all healthy and fine and perfect. And, you know, we just want everything to work out for us. And the problem is we live in a sinful world and there are a lot of issues that come our way and, and it forces us to change and forces us to wrestle with change. And, you know, the reality is even if God is, is like saying, hey, if you change, this is going to you know, bring more freedom in your life. This is going to be, you know, a great step for you. We're still very resistant and reluctant to change just because we love being comfortable. Well, Jonah uh, certainly can relate to this. I mean, he did not want to change. He, he did not want to do what God was calling him to do, was asking him to do. And so he runs from God's will. But even when he decides to, okay, I'm going to do what you want, God, and he goes and he preaches to the Ninevites, when he does that, all these people turn to God and, and they're saved. And Jonah's reaction is he is angry. <laughs> like he's upset. He's, he's mad at God, literally. And, you know, I, I read that and I'm thinking, how could he do that? Then I look at my own life and I, I can remember times and seasons in my life when, man, I've been mad at God before. What about you? You ever been mad at God? You ever been upset that he didn't do something that you think he should have done? You ever been mad that God took something from you or, or God did something, he allowed something to happen in your life and, and it really just caused a lot of suffering. It, it caused you to be uncomfortable and and you look at that situation, and even today, you're really kind of wrestling with some, with some emotion, some, some anger with God. Well, I think we're going to see in this passage of Scripture today that Jonah himself was angry at God, continued to, to be angry at God. And I think we can learn some lessons from an angry man today. And so I want us to look at chapter 4, and beginning in verse 1. My hope is that we'll learn these lessons. Verse 1, remember, right on the heels, Jonah preaches 120,000 people come to know God. They're saved. And this is Jonah's response, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, 
Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord God said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Just leave your Bibles open. We'll continue. Let's see what's happening so far. First off, in verse 1, it says that, When all these people came to know God, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. In other words, Jonah was upset and extremely mad at God. The the literal translation from the Hebrew to English is that he, he saw this as an exceedingly evil act. In other words, he thought what God did was wrong. He thought what God did was a mistake. And he's like, how could you do this, God? Why did you do this? These people are evil. They don't deserve your grace. And then in verse 2, he starts in a prayer. And this is a prayer that sounds a lot like the prayer that we heard in chapter 1. In chapter 1, he was a very selfish and, and uh, you know, just focused on himself uh, type of prayer as he's running from God's will. Uh, remember chapter 2 when he's in the belly of the great fish, you know, he's humble. And he's, he's praying a humble prayer to God. And, 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 and now he's returning to his running ways, his selfish type of prayer. And, you know, I think we can see ourselves in Jonah, you know. We see ourselves, you know, when things are going well, when things are, maybe we don't even have a prayer life. Maybe those prayers are uh, selfish. Then God humbles us. We go through a difficult season of life. And it's a change, you know. Our prayer life is different. We're more humble. This is where Jonah is at. And, and his prayer here is almost like a, see, I told you, God. He's, he's like justifying his anger to God. He's like, God, I told you you would do this. I said it. This is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew you were going to save him. I knew you were going to do what you always do, God, which is to show grace and to show love. And, and I knew you were going to do it, and that's why I ran. They don't deserve it. He uses the words from Exodus 34, 6 and 7 to describe God. He, he says, you're a gracious God, which means that God shows love and blesses folks who don't deserve it. This is us. He says, you're a merciful God, like a a loving, compassionate mother to her child. God is loving and compassionate and shows mercy to his children. I mean, just look at Jonah's life, how God has, has showed him so much mercy. He sent a great fish to save him. He could have sent a shark, right? We could be telling kids in Sunday school classes all over the world, hey kids, we're gonna talk about Jonah and the shark. Run from God, get eaten. Anybody want to tell that story to their kids, right? No, I mean, if God sent a shark every time I disobeyed, I wouldn't be here, right? Probably you wouldn't either. God is a merciful God. He's slow to anger. This means that God is patient and long-suffering with us. He's willing to have the conversation over and over with us. He is abounding in steadfast love. This is the word in the Hebrew language, hesed. It's the most beautiful word in the Hebrew language, I believe. It really encompasses God's covenantal love with his people. It's his tenderness, his compassion, his love, unconditional love in saving us. We, we don't really even have a word that explains this word in the English language. But God is abounding in steadfast love and he is a relenting God. He re- is relenting from disaster. In other words, God's love for us provides a way out. He doesn't want his people to perish. He doesn't want disaster to fall upon you. Certainly Nineveh is an example of his love. But listen, Jonah isn't writing a love song here. 
I mean, he's not strumming his guitar with a pad and pencil, you know, charting chords. God, you are so compassionate, you know. He's not doing that. It's almost like a, it's like a hard metal, you know, song. I can't believe you saved them, God. You know, I'm mad at you. It's like, like this is a very angry man. He can't believe that God actually saved these evil people. You might know what that feels like. I mean, think about how disturbing this is. A man of God like Jonah here that shows us that even though he has become obedient in some areas, he was obedient in the fact that he went and he preached to the Ninevites, he still is demonstrating a spirit of disobedience. He's still showing that he has a a heart that is still not submissive to the supremacy of Christ, to the supremacy of God in his life. I mean, don't miss that because we can struggle with this, can't we? Let's be honest. I mean, we can demonstrate a certain level of of obedience and, and give the appearance that we are, you know, followers of Christ or that we're doing what God wants us to do, you know? We can come to church and we can put on the cool face and the happy family look and Inwardly, our heart could, could be unsubmissive to God. Our heart could be hard towards God, angry towards God. And while we are demonstrating a level of obedience, our heart could still be completely going in the opposite direction of where God wants it to go. You could serve in ministry. You could be involved in ministry every week and, and man, put on a good show for everybody. And it looks like you're serving. It looks like you're obedient. But your heart still isn't submissive to God. This is a dangerous place to live. We see it every day. We see this all the time. And and for us, you know, we've got to know, you can fool me, you can fool your family, but you cannot fool God. He knows your heart today. Is it submissive to his will? Or are you like Jonah, halfway obeying and halfway far from Christ? In verse three, he concludes his prayer and he prays that God would actually take his life. It's so bad, he's at, his, he's at his wits end. He's at the end of the rope here. He's struggling so bad. He's like, God, just take my life. It'd be better for me not even to be here. And you know what? I know in this room, there are people who may be there today. You're struggling with those thoughts or maybe in your past, you struggled with, with that thought. You're, you're so depressed. You're, you're struggling with, with whatever situation you're facing today. Can I tell you that God loves you? That that is not the answer. And, and, and even though we're praying and it doesn't seem like God is answering, let's just thank God for unanswered prayer. You know, back in the day, Garth Brooks sang a song, I'm thankful for unanswered prayer. You want to sing that one today? No, not, Probably not. I mean, that's a biblical concept when you think about it. Like God doesn't answer Jonah's prayer to take his life, thankfully. God will always answer your prayer in one of three ways. He'll say yes. And he'll provide whatever it is you're seeking. He may say no. Because he is sovereign, he is in control, he knows what's better for you. Or he may say, not yet, or wait. And each of us are probably in that position in, in, in some form or fashion today. But we, we've got to recognize that God is in control. He does have an eternal perspective. He, he does have your best interest at mind. And so we, we trust that what he is going to do in our lives is better than, than anything we could come up with on our own. So we trust his plan. And so we're thankful when God doesn't answer certain prayers. And in verse four, God responds to Jonah's prayer. And he simply asked Jonah a question. And the question is this, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Do you have a right to be angry about this? 
And Jonah doesn't respond. Jonah just leaves the city. He goes up on a hill in verse 5, and he goes to this place. He builds a little shelter, probably a little lean-to with some sticks that have some leaves on it and protect him from the sun. And he's overlooking the city of Nineveh. And I believe that he's waiting to see what's going to happen. I think he's hopeful that the Ninevites will turn away from God and then God will send fire from heaven and destroy the city. I literally think that's what he's hoping for. So it's almost like Jonah is sitting in his lawn chair like at a 4th of July party waiting for a fireworks show. He's like, come on, God, just rain down your fire. But it doesn't stop there. At this point, God continues to teach Jonah some lessons here. Let's look at verse 6. It says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Important word. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Well, God grows a plant to shade Jonah in the hot desert sun, and this pleased Jonah. The leaves from his little shelter probably withered after a a day or so, and, and God sends him a plant to give him shade. And I think this is the first lesson that we need to learn from an angry man today, and that is this. Be grateful for the comforts that God provides. Be grateful for the comforts that God provides. God provided a plant to give Jonah shade, and and, and so this is a, a great comfort for a man in the hot, arid desert, 100 plus degrees, and and so he's, he's experiencing heat exhaustion. He's got uh, this, this wind that's about to come to, to drive even more um, uncomfortableness in his life. And, and yet God gives him a level of comfort with this plant. Now, we have so many blessings in our life. And what do we typically do? We focus on the one thing that is wrong. We focus on the one thing that we don't have. Instead of looking at all the many comforts that God already has blessed us with and already graced us with, how quickly we lose, out, we, we lose sight of our salvation, how quickly we take that for granted. We sing songs about freedom and about the gospel, and our response in song is, meh, not a big deal. I'm not getting excited about that anymore. We're over that. We prayed and prayed that maybe God would send us a spouse, and, 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 and he did, and, and maybe you take her for granted now. We prayed that God would bless us with a child, and God, give us a child, give us a child. And, and so he does, whether through pregnancy or adoption, and how quickly we take them for granted. You see, God has blessed us in so many ways, and our tendency is to look at all the negative situations around us. We live in the most blessed nation the world has ever seen. 
not just in the world today, but that the world has ever seen. We have more comforts today than, than our pre- previous ancestors could ever possibly imagine. And yet we are still unfulfilled and unsatisfied. We got a new car. Yeah, we didn't get the leather seats though. One of the leather seats. We got this great new, you know, vehicle for the family. Well, we didn't get the rear view camera deal. You know, I really wanted that, but you know, we didn't get it. God gave us a house. It's got heat. It's got air conditioning, right? We got all these great things, but we didn't, it's not as good as our neighbors. You know, we wanted that. We don't have any trees. We wanted trees. I mean, just name it and you can find something wrong with everything in your life. And I think the challenge for us is to realize that if 200 channels on your cable bill is not enough, then 300 channels won't be greater. If leather seats and, 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 and this nice car and that nice thing doesn't fulfill you, nothing will. And we've got to be grateful for the things that God has already blessed us with. The verse here says that God grows this plant to ease his discomfort. Literally, the Hebrew means to deliver him from his evil. So God sends this plant, grows this plant for Jonah to relieve him of his discomfort in the sense he wants to relieve him of his evil thoughts. In other words, his attitude towards the fact that these people have received salvation and he's mad about it. God wants him to repent. God wants him to see the comfort that he has provided for him. But in the first time in this story, Jonah is happy. He's not happy about the fish. He's not happy about people coming to know God. He's happy about a plant. (laughs) This plant has made him happy. And, And the reality is, I think some of us are allowing plants to cause us happiness and we're losing sight of the bigger picture. What I mean by that is we allow the comforts that God has given to us in our life to become our gods. We allow our comforts to become our idols so that God you know, gave us this job, he gave us this wealth, and instead of thanking God for it and using it for his glory, it has become our God. And so everything about our life is to serve our material possessions. God gave us children. And instead of thanking God and raising them to love God, we idolize them and we begin to worship our children. So I don't worship my kid, but all the time, all the money, all the energy we put into them compared to what we put into God's kingdom, and that will reveal who and what you're worshiping today. See, the, the, the ideal for us is that we would not allow the plant to become our God, but that we would see the plants that God gives to us and it would cause us to worship our God. We do this all the time. We get excited about all these different things. We get excited about our kids scoring a run in baseball. They get a base hit. We're screaming. We're yelling. They score some points in a game. We're screaming. We're yelling. They get in you know, they get an A. They do something, we're screaming. Yeah, this is great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with screaming and yelling here, right? But how much do we scream and yell and high five when they demonstrate a, a level of spiritual growth in their life? What do we do then? About time. About time. Been waiting to see some of this. Now I want you to go up there and finish your room, right? That's usually our response. Instead of, man, dude. Man, that's, I, that's God working in your heart. That is awesome. Man, I want to celebrate that. We didn't think it. Man, this is incredible. No. We scream and yell for the game. We give very little attention to the spiritual. Now listen, I'm all about screaming and yelling for the game, right? 
You know I'm a sports fan. If you know me, like March Madness is the greatest time of the year for me. I filled out my bracket. I'm loving it. Loving the games last night, staying up late. Did it. Love it. Cheer. In fact, I don't want to brag, but if North Carolina wins tomorrow night, I win our office poll here at our church, right? So all the staff people, I'm not doing that to like brag and to like look at me. I'm not saying that. <laughs> well, kind of, kind of, but not really. If, if Gonzaga wins, then my assistant Whitney wins, and I can't let that happen. So root for North Carolina. Anyway, I'm all for the rooting and the cheering for all of these athletic you know, endeavors that we have. This is all good stuff. But here's the danger. Does my cheering and excitement, does it, does it even come close to the same amount of energy and excitement that I put into the temporary things in my life? See, Jonah's excited about the plant. This is temporary. God is excited and concerned about the eternal. Jonah's excited about the plant. God brings it. God kills it, takes it away, right? God is concerned about the 120,000 plus people that need repentance. This is God's priority. And so for us, we want to break the mold of only thinking about the here and the now, right now, my happiness now, what I need now, and realize that just maybe God is sovereign and in control and he has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose for you and for me than what we can see today. We've gotta be grateful for uh, these comforts that God sends into our life today and and not neglect all the important things and, and only celebrate the unimportant in our life. Well, in verses seven to 11, God does to Jonah what Jonah wanted God to do to Nineveh, right? God wanted to judge Nineveh. Now God is going to judge Jonah here and cause some discomfort in his life. If you're taking notes, the second thing we want to learn today is we want to learn from the worms in our life, right? God appoints a worm to come and kill the plant. Now, four times in this book, we see the phrase God appointed. Uh, That simply means God God, in his sovereignty, he provides something to happen for Jonah, right? He's in control, so he appoints something to happen. In uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, we see that God appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah and to save him. Now, when we read that, we're like, yeah, all right, God, way to go. It's my boy stepping up, taking care of Jonah. I love it, right? And then we read in chapter 4, verse 6, God appoints, God provides a plant to shade Jonah. Again, right, God? That's what I'm talking about. Stepping in the gap. That a boy. And then we see that God appoints a worm to come and kill the plant. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want none of that, right? Why would you do that, God? Why would you cause discomfort in his life? A little bit later, God appoints. This is the fourth time. God appoints appoints a, an east wind, a scorching east wind, particles of dust, um, all this heat, 110 plus degrees here, scorching him. He's got no shade, wants to die. Wait a minute. You see, God is in control and he is sovereign over your comforts and in your suffering. This is hard for us to understand. God sends a worm into our life, to your life, perhaps to disrupt your comfort. Why would he do that? Why would he want to make us uncomfortable? 
We don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to change. We want things to be normal and the same. Don't disrupt my comfort, God. If you disrupt my comfort, God, then I'm going to start to doubt that you love me. I'm going to start to doubt that you know what you're doing, and I'm perhaps going to just become angry at you because I don't believe you. Why would he do this? I think God would cause us to be uncomfortable to help us grow because we never grow when we are comfortable. Think about it in your life. The only time where you have significant growth is when you are uncomfortable, when God has brought you into a season of adversity. And he takes us through a season of suffering, a season of adversity to equip us for a bigger purpose, for a bigger reason. What's the bigger reason? Well, it always ties into seeing souls saved and added to the kingdom. Always, 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 always. Don't miss that. For Jonah, he's more concerned about the temporary plant, upset about the plant, and he cares nothing for real people. These are men, women, even children who would die and go to hell apart from God saving them. He doesn't care about that. You see, for us, we have to learn from the worms in our life. Now, I'm not suggesting that God causes evil things to happen to you. God cannot do evil. God cannot sin. We live in a sinful world. It is a broken world. And because of the brokenness in this world, we are broken people. And broken people break things. So when evil happens to you, it is not God doing the evil to you. It is sinful men and women that do evil things to us. And yet even in the midst of evil, God is sovereign. God is in control. And we recognize his sovereignty. When you look at the story of Job in the Old Testament, Job blessed in many ways. Satan goes to God and and says, what about your servant Job? And God allows Satan to take him through a season of testing. It was the enemy that did it. God allows this. God takes away almost everything except for two nagging friends and a nagging wife. (laughs) Thanks a lot, God. But in all of that, The Bible says that Job did not blame God. In fact, in that story, one of the most beautiful sections of the entire story, God, uh, uh, the the scripture shows that Jonah, I mean that Job says that God gave and God has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the midst of his suffering, he still saw God's sovereign plan He still saw and experienced God's sovereign love, even in the midst of pain. You see, God gave Jonah the plant, and God took the plant away, and yet God is still good. He still loves you, and he still wants to use that discomfort in your life to equip you to make a difference in someone else's life. But this just makes Jonah angry. He's mad. He's upset. God says, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah says, yeah, I do well to be angry. As a matter of fact, I don't have any more shade and I'm extremely upset. I want to die. That's how upset I am. The reality is some of you are upset with God. You haven't let go. You haven't released that anger, that bitterness that is in your heart. You haven't forgiven that person that hurt you. You haven't forgiven God and trusted his plan in your life and My encouragement for you today, friend, is to release that anger, 
to release that bitterness. God has great things in store for you in your future, but you will never experience it if you hold so tightly on to this bitterness. You'll be like Jonah. You'll just be angry and bitter and experiencing a really super hot day. I think anger towards God when suffering happens is common. Like that's a first natural response. But if you see in yourself a continued anger toward God, it's gonna lead you to dark, dark places, even depression in your life. But God has more for you. He's in control. He still loves you. In fact, what you might believe is the most devastating event in your life that nearly crushed you could be, in fact, the very thing that God uses to save you and to redeem you. Jonah's angry. I believe he's angry for a lot of reasons. He's angry because these people don't deserve God's love in his mind. And God just saved him. God's not supposed to do that. He's not supposed to bless evil people, right? I think Jonah's potentially upset because he knows the, uh, these people, these Assyrians, that, that yeah, sure, they turn to God today, but guess what? They're probably gonna turn away from God in the future, then they're gonna come terrorize our nation again, so he's mad about that. He's probably mad that he's about to go back to Jerusalem and he's about to share the story. Can you imagine going back and telling the story? Hey guys, God was gonna destroy our mortal enemies, but yours truly showed up, said a few words, they all turned to God and now God's not gonna destroy them. Homies say, what? You did what? You did what, Jonah? Why, Why would you do that? Why didn't you just let the, the people die? That would have been awesome. So he's gonna, go ha- he's gonna go back and he's gonna have to face that. He's angry. He's got a lot of reasons to be angry here. And yet, I think the lesson that God wants him to learn is, is still to be had. And maybe for you as well. I mean, we get mad for all kinds of reasons too, don't you? We get mad when we don't get our way. We get mad when God doesn't give us what we want, when we want. We get mad when, when uh, God, we, we think that God took something from us or someone else took something from us. We get mad when people get in our way. We get mad when, when life is unfair, right? Well, newsflash, like this life is always going to be unfair. We live in a sinful, broken world. God never promised that it would be fair He did promise that we would face a lot of problems, but he did say to take heart because he has overcome the world. God is putting Jonah in Nineveh's shoes to help him understand that his anger is not justified. Jonah doesn't have a right to be angry at God and neither do you. He's given you so much that you already do not deserve. God showed Jonah grace by making him a child of God, by saving him, by using him. And even in this situation, God provides comforts throughout his suffering, but he doesn't see it. He's too blind to see it. Listen, if, you, if you're still angry at what God took from you, you're never going to enjoy those future miracles that God wants to do in your life. You can continue to be selfish. That's gonna lead to depression and a miserable life, or you could trust in God's plan today. Romans 8, 28, one of my favorite verses, says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things, all things, all good things, and all difficult things work together for your good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
You see, we've got to learn from the worms that God sends into our life. We don't jump up and down and, woo I'm so glad, God, that you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling today. No, but we learn the lessons, right? We learn what God is trying to teach us. In your rows, we put some little packages of sour worms in there to help you be reminded that sometimes, you know, just like these worms, life can be a little sour. It's a little sour when you first start, but then after you keep eating, like it can become so much sweeter. Those little wormy things are a blessing from God today. You might need to pop a few to get through the rest of the sermon. Number three, and finally, is that we've got to learn this lesson. We've got to embrace the trial as God's sanctification. So again, we're not jumping up and down doing flips that we're suffering, but our mentality, our attitude begins to shift, right? We begin to, to, to change our focus on woe is me, and we start to look at things in a different perspective, a godly perspective, and we start embracing our situation as difficult as it may be, as God's sanctification in our life. Now, that's just a big word that means make us more like Jesus. Any, anything that in our life that we can become more like Jesus means more joy. It means, it, it means more uh, hope. It means more blessing in our life. The, the more we become like Jesus, the greater things become in our life. But the reality is our faith growing works kind of like working out. You know, when you, when you work out, you've got you to put some adversity against your muscles. You, you have to have some resistance there in order to, to grow stronger. Faith works in the same way, like a muscle through resistance. So God is growing your faith through whatever trial you are experiencing today. As soon as the plant dies, God sends this east wind. And I mean, it, it is so miserable for Jonah. And God says, you pity the plant, in verse 10, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God says, look, what do you care about? What were your priorities right now, Jonah? You're totally focused on the wrong thing. You're totally focused on your inward problems. And you're not thinking from a godly perspective that God is going to use those for your good and his glory to add people to the kingdom of God. Scripture says this in 1 Peter 5.10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. After you suffered for a little while, this season that you're going through, it's not going to last forever. It's a season. And in this season, God promises that he will restore you. He will make you stronger. He will make your faith more firm and more steadfast. Paul says this in Romans 8, 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Think about it. We think temporary, temporary, temporary. Right now, right now, right now. Material, material. God thinks eternal. We think temporary. God thinks eternal. So our present sufferings today are not going to compare with how glorious our future really is is in Christ. See, that's our hope. You say, Trent, when is that comfort going to come back to me? There's a pain in my heart. There's something that I'm struggling with, and I don't think that I'm ever going to get over this. When is the comfort going to come? Well, 
Jesus promises through his spirit that we're going to experience a peace that transcends all understanding as we grow in our faith. But there is still a sense in this world where we will not experience ultimate healing and ultimate peace until we stand face to face to Jesus Christ after we leave this this world. And it's in that moment, it's in his presence that all the broken pieces of your heart, all the brokenness within your life is finally healed and restored. And there will be no pain. There will be no suffering. And we will experience the presence of God like never before. But until that time, we have work to do. We have a calling upon our life. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 says it well, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. God has prepared beforehand work for you to do. And it includes all the broken pieces of your life. The question for you is this, are you gonna just be mad at God and upset about all the things that aren't working out the way that you think they should? Or were you, are you willing to pick those up and allow the Spirit of God to use the, that brokenness, begin to heal you, begin to restore you as you are doing the work God has given to you? What's more important to you, plants or souls? <laughs> plants or souls? Plants or souls? For Jonah, he's focused on plants. God wants you to be focused on souls. God wants to use your story, your brokenness, to heal other people to hear the message of Jesus and be restored through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's our goal. This is the calling that we have upon our lives. Look, look, don't don't get so inward focused that you lose sight of this. I love how the the book ends. God says, and and also much cattle. (laughs) I mean, Jonah, can you not care about the cows? There are cows down there, Jonah. They need Jesus too, I guess. I don't know. But listen, the reality is, what do you, what do you care about? Are you, are you caring more about what's happening to you and woe is me? Or will you have a compassion for those who are lost today? My hope, my prayer for you is that you would begin to release that anger, release that bitterness, and say yes to God's plan. He's in control. He knows exactly what you need today. Won't you trust him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and God, we we realize that in our time of need, you are our ever-present help. So often, God, in our life, we tend to focus only on our immediate needs and we lose sight of the bigger plan, the bigger purpose that you have behind these circumstances in our life. God, I pray for those who are hanging on to that anger and that bitterness today. I pray that they would release that pain to you. And I pray that they would begin to use that for your glory, for their good, for those lost and dying souls that are working beside them, living beside them. God, may we have a passion to use whatever story you've given to us to bless other people. We know you are a sending God, a loving God, a sovereign God. Let us humbly submit to your plan for our life today. 
for you have blessed us with so very much. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.